Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Board Games Daily, your daily dose of tabletop gaming discussion on Anchor. Now welcome your hosts, Jeremiah Isley, Scott Firestone, and AJ Skifstad. Hey everybody, welcome back to Board Games Daily, powered by Theology of Games. This is AJ Skifstad, and we got some good stuff coming at you today. We're going to talk a little bit about what's hitting the table tonight for me. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about what hit the table last night for Firestone. And then hopefully we'll do a a topic Wednesday. Typically we do a topic Tuesday, but we're a little late to the game this week. And, uh, ha, a little late to the game. But we're a little late to the game this week. And we are going to go ahead and do a topic today. We're going to talk about deck builders. We're going to talk about what we like about deck builders, some pros and cons, and uh, what our favorite deck builders are. So this is not something that we've not talked about before, but uh, it's something that we can always revisit again because it is such a hot mechanic in the gaming industry. So we're going to talk a little bit about deck building, games we like, games we don't like, mechanics or parts of games we like and parts of games we don't like, and uh, share our thoughts on deck builders. So stay tuned. We got a lot of good stuff coming at you. Hey there, it's Firestone with Board Games Daily, powered by TheologyofGames.com, coming to you on Wednesday, which means last night was game night. So I had plans with a friend to play some Age of Steam, which we just haven't played in forever, and we love that game, so we thought, hey, let's do that. And then we'll, you know, we'll play Age of Steam, and then we'll be able to get some other games in. That is, that is not what happened. So we had three of us, and I had a map called Montreal Metro which is designed specifically for three players. It only plays three players. And we thought, okay, let's let's dive into that. And we got halfway through the game, uh, probably an hour and a half or two hours into it, hour and a half probably, probably. and um, we realized that we had not been uh, working, we'd not been paying as much at the end of the turn as we were supposed to. So... Um, Normally, in a game <laughs> that you're playing the rules, at the end of the turn, you get your income from wherever your uh, your income marker is, and then you have to pay expenses. And the expenses include the number of shares, but also your locomotive number, whatever level that's on. We were not playing paying the locomotive. I had read it when we refreshed the rules, and we just all forgot it until halfway through, and somebody realized it. And we're sitting there going, I don't know how to fix this. How do we fix this? We can't fix this. And then we thought, okay, well, we could just continue playing and not have to pay that. But it seemed uh, just a bad idea. So we decided to scrap it and start over. So I played one and a half games of Montreal Metro last night. And that is all I played. So uh, a a little bit more about that map specifically. It is, like I said, for three players only. The idea is that this is uh, the 1960s, I think, in Montreal, and the city is growing, and they're hosting all these events, and they're realizing, hey, we need a metro system. So you play city planners who are building this metro system in the city. And one of the new twists in it is that over the course of, there must be 12 rounds, or nine rounds, anyway, some multiple of three, each of the players is in charge of building one link of government track. 
So at the beginning, very first thing you do is the person builds government track. Every track built in the game has to be connected in some way to the main track. So obviously the first person to build can build it anywhere. But then after that, you have to build off of some link from that government one. And so you're constantly trying to figure out how can I get over there to build there to use that government track? Because one of the things you can do with your locomotive is you can add government links that you can go over that are free. And one of the actions taken, the locomotive action now bumps you up to be able to use some of those links. So you might be able to go over four of your links and then two government ones if you have the locomotive for it and you get the income for it. And the government links are everywhere because every turn somebody is building some of it. So it's very tight. It is, uh, I would call it an advanced map. It's, it's for experienced players only. <laughs> and uh, money is so tight in this. And we, one of the things that caught us and made us realize we were doing something incorrectly is it didn't seem as brutal as it should be. Age of Steam is generally a brutal game. And money was kind of tight in that first one, but it didn't seem that tight. And you can issue five more shares in this map than in normal. And I thought, that just doesn't seem right. What is going on? And then we realized, oh, it's because we're not paying enough. So ultimately what it came down to is one guy issued fewer shares than the rest of us. And it came back to bite the other two of us who were, we were all kind of close. I was in third place, but not by that much. And then the other two are closer. And the difference was the number of shares issued. So... Age of Steam is one of my favorite games, and I will. It, I just missed playing it. It's so good. There are so many maps. It's so brutal and unforgiving, and I know a lot of people like Steam because it's more forgiving, and you have more control, they say, over where goods come out and things like that. I have no interest in that. I don't need the aesthetic of the upgrade quote-unquote aesthetic i don't like the trains i like the old discs i like the old artwork i like the brutality of it i like how tight age of steam is compared to steam i love that game that's what i played last night one and a half games of it have you ever played this map do you like age of steam talk to us share in the conversation we'll talk to you later bye Alright, so here I am back. I'm going to talk about what's hitting the table tonight, which will segue into our uh, Topic Wednesday discussion. Uh, but tonight, I'm getting Thunderstone Quest to the table. This is no surprise to most of you. You know I love this game. You know I talk about it all the time. And Rachel and I are getting it back to the table tonight. We are on the fifth and final quest that was released in the Champion Tier uh, edition of the game. And so we've got three more games to play, including tonight's. And that'll, that'll finish out all the quest, the questing aspect of Thunderstone. We've had a great time this, this far playing it. Uh, we log every game that we play. So uh, there's a little uh, notebook in the back of the rules that you can log who wins and who loses. And Rachel and I are pretty even right now. She's beat me, I think, two more times than I, I beat her. So I, I've got some catching up to do. And then that final game, I think, will determine who, who wins overall. If I can win two games, we'll be tied. Uh, and then that final game will determine the overall winner. But uh, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter who wins in the long run because every game that I've played, I've had so much fun playing. I've seen a lot of different cards. I've seen a lot of heroes. I've seen a lot of items, spells, and weapons. And I've seen a lot of bad guys. I've seen trolls, 
ogres, mer people, giants, undead, skeletons, just tons and tons of stuff. It's it's been great. It is so immersive. It is so fantastical. The fantasy element is huge. I mean, you can think of any any fantasy thing you can almost think of is is in this game and you get to see it. Not only is the theme so strong and present and exciting, but uh, the gameplay is fantastic as well. So uh, if you have not checked out Thunderstone Quest yet, you gotta do it. Uh, the Kickstarter for the, the second uh, release of this game uh, just ended about a month ago, I think, but the pledge manager is open where you can make late pledges. I know how some people feel about that. They think that's uh, bullcrap to open up the pledge manager and let people get in. I, who cares? I don't care. I know some people care. I don't care. If you haven't got in on the game, get in on the game. It's worth it. And I apologize for, for the way I sound today. I've got a terrible cold, but I'm still talking games anyways because I love them. So uh, Thunderstone Quest will hit the table tonight. It's a great deck builder. I'm going to talk more about deck building in a little bit for Topic Wednesday. That's it for now. All right, so we are gonna be talking about our Topic Wednesday today. And the topic is just deck builders in general, what we think, what we like, what we don't like. And deck builders is has been around now for a long time in the gaming industry. And it's a, it's a mechanic that uh, game designers are still just beaten to death. And when, I guess I say beaten to death, but not really because there's so many deck builders that keep coming out and they're still really wonderful games. And I, I think of two recently, I just talked about Thunderstone Quest, so I won't talk about it again, but I love that game. But I think of another one that's recent by Reiner Knizia called uh, The Quest for El Dorado, which is, it's just so different than any any deck builder I've ever seen before because because you are using your deck to, to race uh, along some... Uh, forest and and uh, exploration type of path to try and get to El Dorado first. It's a really, really cool game. Um, I love the quest for El Dorado. And the cool thing about it is, is you only draw four cards each turn and, and you play those four cards. Unlike some deck builders where you will draw uh, five to six cards and even more sometimes if you get some cards that mitigate your draws. Um, and you can mitigate your draws in, in quest for El Dorado. I like quest for El Dorado though because it is so simple. It's different in, than other deck builders in that when you take your turn, other people are ready to take their turn almost immediately when you're done. A lot of deck builders, uh, sometimes the cards will come out and you'll take your turn and it takes a little while to, to plan it out. And then the next person goes and it takes a while for them to plan out their turn. And sometimes there's... Uh, I don't want to say analysis paralysis. It just it depends on what's happening on the board or what's happening in the game that determines the way you want to play your cards. Um, I don't feel like that's totally the case with Quest for Eldorado. Sure, you can wait to see what other people are doing, but because you only have such few cards in your hand, it makes your choices a lot simpler. I like Quest for Eldorado. It's a 30-minute game. So I like that about it, that it's, that it's quick to play. But there's other deck builders like uh, Star Realms, for example. Star Realms is just a it's just a, a little combat game between you and the other players, and you're giving them damage, and you're taking on gold to buy more cards, and whoever whoever kills the other player first wins. It's a great game that can take maybe 15 minutes. If you're playing with four players, it might take 40 minutes tops. Great little deck builder. Then there's games like Thunderstone Quest 
where you're going to be playing for a good hour and a half. And you're going to be making some really, really hard decisions throughout the game. And you have a lot of choices that are out there on the board. There's games like Clank, where you're going to be adventuring down to a dungeon, trying to grab a, a piece of loot and bring it up and get the most victory points. Uh, that game, again, if you're playing with four players, it's going to take more time. But the decisions in deck builders can be very, very strategic. And sometimes they can be very elementary and light. And that's okay, because it's such a vast... Uh, gaming mechanic and so much has been done with it that it's just really really still uh, fascinating to me and I think it's fascinating to uh, the gaming industry and so uh, that's my take on deck building for day for today I really like it I think there's a lot of good things that are still happening with that mechanic and so I'm not ready to put that one to rest yet but we want to hear what you think so go ahead and chime in use the anchor uh, voice in feature app and tell us what you think about deck building games I think most of us here at Board Games FM and Theology of Games like them a lot. In fact, I'd go as far to say we love them. So uh, that's deck building, but let's hear from you. Check you later. You can be more than just a listener. If you're listening via the Anchor app, you can be a part of the discussion by using the voice message feature. Don't just sit on the sidelines. Download the app and join the conversation today. Hey, it's Firestone here with Board Games Daily, powered by TheologyofGames.com. AJ brought up the subject of deck builders today, and I realized that it has been 10 years since Donald Vaccarino designed Dominion, which is the first deck builder, which is arguably the best deck builder. It's just a classic. There's there. How, how are you going to improve on that? It was, it was a brilliant design. In many ways, so simple, but in also, it's one of those things where, in its simplicity, you realize how actually how deep it is, how much work went into making it "quote unquote" simple, and uh, it changed board games forever. And uh, so, it's just a deserved classic. Now, it's it's one I don't actually own because I find the theme of it incredibly boring, and. I will play it happily anytime. And I've played it a number of times in my game group. But so many copies, there are so many copies in my game group that I don't have to own it because it's not like I'm going to play it at home. I can't see my kids being like, hey, dad, can we, you know, library some fairs into some duchies? Uh, they, they just don't care about that. Again, it's the classic, elegant, beautiful game. I love it, but it's boring thematically. But it did open up the door to all kinds of great other games so things like thunderstone which aj has talked about and thunderstone quest is just the epitome of this game and is brilliant and has all these you know takes the base of, of deck building and then adds boards and adds movement and adds all kinds of different things to it it's super fun ascension is actually one that i, I like quite a bit i also don't own that one but it's a great introduction. When I first played it, I thought this is a great game that I could bring out with somebody if I wanted to teach them deck building. And one of the things I like about the Ascension folks is that they haven't rested on their laurels. It's not like they just keep bringing out the same thing. They've evolved. They've brought out different, um, I don't know how you would describe it, different iterations. They've they've pushed the boundary, added mechanisms. I really like what they that they just haven't added new stuff. 
and uh, and so that's a lot of fun. The DC Deck Builder was an early one, and my ten year old it's still one of his favorite games. We only we only have the base game. I can't believe I haven't picked up any expansions for it, but he will play that game anytime. He asks for it every time we play a board game. He loves that game so much. One that we've been enjoying recently is Clank. And Clank has some problems, I'll admit, or at least the base game does. But um man, it's just fun. Like when I play that game, I'm I'm just enjoying myself. And there's not a lot of tension, and I think some of the expansions can maybe help with that. And I'm very anxious to try Clank in Space because I think that will be more of a gamery game, is my understanding. And so I think I'll enjoy that. But as it is, every time I play Clank, I have fun. And so the fun factor is a big deal to me. One that is highly regarded, and I need to play again because I didn't like my first play, was Eminent Domain. It's one, this is many years ago that I played it, but as I recall, it's a deck builder, but it also combines some elements of Race to the Galaxy, where if one person does something, then other people can also do some version of that, perhaps a slightly worse version than the original person did. When I played it, I thought it was okay. I didn't quite see the hook. I didn't quite get it. But again, I played once. I have a copy. I just need to to get it to the table again to see if what I originally thought is true. But it's so highly regarded, I think I'm probably missing something in my one play, which is almost certainly true. And then there are games that have kind of taken that idea and maybe not made it the primary focus, but made it a part of the game. And the, the one I think of that I actually played recently with my son is Mage Knight. It has deck building elements. You're there are cards out. You buy the cards and add them to your deck, and then you will be drawing that that card occasionally and doing things with it. But I would not call that a deck building game. I would just say that deck building is one aspect of it. But it's it's certainly there, and it's um, makes for a fun game. Mage Knight is great. And then when you think about things like CCGs, that's kind of a deck builder, right? You're coming to the game with a deck of cards. You're hoping to draw what you want. It's it's obviously different, but you're still crafting a deck to, to uh, fight an enemy, whoever that may be. One, one game that I've really enjoyed lately is uh, Millennium Blades, and that is a game about being a CCG player. And during the game, you're through various mechanisms, trading with people, buying things, you are building a deck to then take to a tournament and quote unquote play in the tournament. It's it's very simplified, but it's a lot. It's a big fun game with tons of cards, tons of variability. I mean, I've played a number of games and have barely scratched the surface of the variability in this game, which is typical of level ninety nine games. One of the things I really like about them. So anyway, deck building it changed the face of gaming forever. What are some of your favorites? What are some of the ones you don't like or think are overrated? Let us know. Keep the conversation going. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. All right, that's it for today, folks. Hope you enjoyed talking about deck builders, hearing what Firestone played, and uh, we hope that you add to the conversation. Check us out at theologyofgames.com. Lots of great stuff going on on the blog over there. We've got lots of contests going. We're always running some sort of contest, so make sure you check it out, get in on some of the action, and just enjoy and play some games. That's it for now. See you later. Thanks for joining us today. Board Games Daily is powered by theologyofgames.com. 
Don't forget to head over to TheologyOfGames.com to check out all we have to offer, including written reviews, our YouTube channel, and two other podcasts. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you're listening. Thanks for listening, and go put a game on the table. Thank you.